Welcome to this podcast episode of Narcissists in Divorce, The Narcissist Trap. I'm Dr. Supriya McKenna. I'm a former family doctor, but my life's true work is working with people who have fallen prey to narcissistic relationships of any kind. But I'm particularly busy in the area of divorce. Over the last few years, I've been very proud to become an Amazon best-selling author on the subject of narcissism, and my brand new book, Narcissists in Divorce, From Love Locked to Leaving, is out right now on Amazon. That's the first book in the Narcissists in Divorce series, and the follow-on to that will be out in the spring, and that's called Narcissists in Divorce, From Leaving to Liberty. And please do note that although I use the word divorce, these books are equally applicable to anyone leaving a serious intimate relationship with a narcissist, whether they are married or not. I also have a book out called The Narcissist Trap, The Mind-Bending Pull of the Great Pretenders. And that book might be useful in helping the people around you who are supporting you to understand more about what happened to you and about narcissism generally. I'm also the co-author with British divorce lawyer Karen Walker of Narcissism and Family Law, a practitioner's guide. And between us, Karen and I have trained thousands of family law professionals in narcissistic personality disorder, including judges, lawyers, mediators and social workers. For further narcissism resources from me, please do visit thelifedoctor.org or drsapria.com. And that web address has the doctor fully spelt out. Priya, what caused you to feel that um, a book that gives a guide to the law, the loss and the law when you're divorcing a narcissist would be of benefit? I found myself bumping into many, many people who'd sort of suffered at the hands of a narcissist, in particular, actually, during the divorce process. It seemed to me that people who perhaps weren't sure when they were in the relationship, whether they were in a relationship with a narcissist. When it came to the the, the divorce part, the separating divorce part, that's when they really came to understand that, that in fact, they they had been for many years um, in an abusive relationship, in a relationship with, with a narcissist. And it just seemed to me that this wasn't widely understood. It's not widely understood by the general public. Um, it's not widely understood by lawyers. And it has to be, we have to increase awareness of this. And they say that it's around 5%, the figures for the prevalence of narcissistic personality disorder vary widely. But one narcissistic individual has an effect on, it's like a sort of ripple effect. um, And they have an effect on multiple, multiple people in their lives. So it's not just the spouse. Um, Of course, it's the children as well, which is a, a huge problem. Um, and that can lead to narcissism passing down the generations um, as a result of the behaviours that become learnt. But also at work, they can have problems with the neighbour, they can have problems with their, their siblings, um, with their parents, with their cousins, really with anyone they meet. Obviously affairs are common, so there can be lots of people on the periphery who have no idea what's going on, who are sort of waiting for the narcissist to leave the wife or, you know, leave the husband or whatever. And they're kind of hanging on for years, waiting. And one narcissist is probably, and I wouldn't want to put a figure on how many people they're affecting adversely at any one time. And obviously that depends on the narcissist themselves and how extreme they are. But certainly one narcissist is affecting multiple people adversely at any one time. And we don't talk about it. 
it was like a sort of light bulb you know, switched on. And you can't unsee something once you've seen it. And I just felt compelled, really, to, to turn on the light for other people. And do you think that um, because people who suffer from narcissistic personality disorder are so poor at personal relationships that actually that's why they're more likely to be more of that 5% of them within separating couples. Oh, definitely. Um, because that's that's where the, the problem is most likely to lie. So, mm. so actually, in, in the world of divorce and separation, the percentage goes up because mm. of, of, of the fact that, that their relationships are unlikely to stand the test of time um, unless they have a very compliant spouse mm. um, because because of the behaviour that they demonstrate. Well, I wonder, I mean, that's very true, but how high, I wonder, is it in the court process? How, how many, and certainly at final trial, I'd love to know what percentage of people that get to final, a final hearing are actually narcissistic. It would be really interesting to, to have a figure for that. I mean, what if you had to guess again? I, I think as a practitioner, you, you sort of see it as a, as a bit of a failure if you've got to a final hearing, because it means you haven't been able to steer the case towards a, a satisfactory outcome at any other stage. Mm. Of course, settlement involves willingness on both sides. So mm. I guess that where you've got one party who absolutely won't settle, that might mean narcissism is prevalent so possibly as a consequence the majority of final hearing cases perhaps perhaps over 50 percent of cases that go to a final hearing involve one of the spouses being narcissistic because it means that compromise has been unachievable Mm. notwithstanding the very um, able assistance if you're in the court process of the of the fdr judge at that fdr appointment Mm. And probably you know, attempts at, at the very least, solicitor negotiation. Um, and you've almost certainly got counsel on board in readiness for a contested trial. And certainly they'll be encouraging settlement prior to the final hearing, mm. trying to find a way forward. So, so I, I'm, I'm going to guess that, it, that it's north of 50%. So that must mean then that obviously a judge that's presiding over a, a final hearing has more than 50% of their cases involve a narcissist. So, you know, it it begs the question, given that the behaviours are so um, predictable and so typical, why hasn't a name been put to this already? Yeah, Yeah. and and one of the reasons that that I was keen to raise the profile amongst my profession is that I think that we need to understand the extent to which we are dealing with people who suffer from this disorder and that it is a predictable disorder and a predictable pattern of behaviour, and that by understanding how it works better and well, we're much, much better placed to serve our clients, be our client, the narcissist themselves, or the spouse, um, Mm -hmm. because either way around on the equation, um, it it is the same behaviour pattern Mm -hmm. and the the same strategies to try to encourage and nudge that couple to an outcome which doesn't require an adjudication so Mm. it's all about understanding and education and that's why I think trying to to get that explanation out there I think it's probably true that we're always about 20 years behind the states Mm. and I think with 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 all of the recent um narcissistic personalities Mm. that we've seen Mm. you know maybe it is it is going to become 
better described and, and better understood mm. on this side of the water. But one of the things that sort of concerns me, I think, is that if you if you bring up the term narcissistic personality disorder, if you, if you say that somebody is a narcissist, quite often you'll get the reaction um, that it's wrong to label people. And, and I wor- worry that lawyers may feel that we're labelling people um, and that that's an unfair thing to do. As a lawyer, you might be, your client rather, might be the spouse of a narcissistic individual. So how can you label that person as narcissistic? You more than likely haven't even met them. I think um, labels are difficult because we are encouraged to steer away from mm. labelling because mm. it puts people and, and, and concepts into pigeon boxes. And actually, um, the reality may be a little bit more fuzzy-edged than than that would suggest. But we have to describe things as something as Mm -hmm. well. This is a way of behaving, Mm. and it's a very specific way of behaving and a very repetitive way of behaving. Mm. And so calling it something um, describes it, Mm. um, Mm. just like you might call a chair a chair as opposed to somewhere where you can sit Mm, Uh, it has a name and it's a shorthand isn't it really so the term narcissist the term narcissism and the term narcissistic personality disorder is actually just shorthand for describing all those patterns of behavior absolutely and i think it's also important to emphasize um something that comes across very much in the books that we've written is that we're not in any way critical of this Mm. as a behaviour pattern Mm. or critical of those who demonstrate it. Um, We're not seeking in any way um, to say that it's bad or because it it just is what it is Mm. and those who suffer from it it's certainly not their fault Mm. and it's probably something which has been occasioned as a consequence of part of their own upbringing Mm. but it exists Mm. as a behaviour pattern and it's, as you rightly say, it's a shorthand description. Mm. Um, now, that also, as, as you have um, made clear in what you've written, it is by degree, and, and somebody who features uh, on the very um, small end of the narcissistic spectrum will perhaps just be successful and driven um, and, a, and a very positive individual. It's when it passes along the spectrum to the higher end Mm -hmm. that it becomes so abusive and destructive Mm -hmm. and so there are different types of narcissists and again Mm -hmm. in the book um, you've given those descriptions Mm -hmm. because it it clarifies that so I I think what one might describe as a label is really a descriptive clarification in a shorthand form Mm. yes I mean it's, it's better to use the correct term I think to describe those behaviors than what people sort of almost instinctively do in, in, in avoiding um, using a label. Uh, they tend to label, but in a completely different way. So they might, you know, with very unflattering labels, mm. you know, he or she isn't a narcissist, they're just, uh, you know, and then come out with something extremely unflattering. Um, <laughs> you know, that's also a label. Um, so I think if you're going to label somebody, maybe try and sort of label them correctly, because it's, it's helpful. And this is all about about making a positive change. Um, and as you rightly say, we don't, you know, we're not judging the individual with, with narcissistic personality disorder um, because this was an ad, it's a personality adaptation. They adapted, their personality grew and adapted to be what it is as a result of the way that they reacted to an adverse upbringing. And that's really important to realise. So that 
they were a baby, a child, and they had an upbringing which was adverse in some way, um, and they adapted their personality, and which formed and became hardwired in their brain as a result of the way that they reacted to that upbringing. That was never a choice. As an adult, they do have more of a choice um, as to as to how they they behave um, and whether. Uh, they choose to behave in a toxic way, that's true, but that's only if they're kind of aware of what they're doing and there's not a great amount of awareness, usually, um, with narcissists. It's not in their interest to change or feel bad about the way that they're behaving towards other people because it's, that's part of the condition, that's part of what they have. They, it's a condition of low empathy and that low empathy means they can't step into um, other people's shoes and view things or feel things really importantly they can't feel things from another person's perspective Mm. Um, they can't feel how they must be feeling they can cognitively possibly imagine that that they might be feeling bad but they can't actually feel it and that's part of the condition so that means that if you can't feel someone else's pain it means you can treat them badly it Mm. means that you can exploit them it means that you can uh, have a sense of entitlement and it means you can do all the things that narcissists do and there are many many things Mm. in, in the narcissist playbook that, that we've talked about many times. Um, but it's that lack of empathy, that fundamental lack of empathy that leads to, to a lot of these problems. And again, that's something that they just didn't develop. They missed that developmental stage as children through no fault of their own. Yeah. Yeah. My brand new book, Narcissists in Divorce, From Love Locked to Leaving, is out now. For more information and online courses about narcissism, please do check out my websites, thelifedoctor.org or drsapria.com.